What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Monday edition of the Snaggle Show. I am, of course, your host, Chris Jardine, a.k.a. Snaggle J. As always, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your day to listen to my little podcast and let me invade your ear holes once again. Um, I am recording this a few days in advance um, as I'm going on vacation uh, this weekend. So I'm actually recording this on Friday, several days before, earlier today, or earlier today. I guess earlier today as I'm recording this, I dropped uh, the rewatch of the Undertaker-Goldberg match episode um, from Super Showdown. And while I don't have any feedback yet... I know a lot of people tweeted and saying they were excited that I was going to be covering it and were interested to hear what I thought. Um, so, I, like I said, if you guys haven't checked out that episode from Friday, make sure you go back and check out um, the Friday episode where, like I said, we rewatched the Undertaker-Goldberg main event from Super Showdown in Saudi Arabia uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, we're going to be shifting gears on the podcast here, um, as we head into the latter part of the week, we're going to get off of the wrestling for a few days. Uh, on Friday, I'm actually going to be doing something a little different, um, something that we don't talk about a whole lot, which is um, streaming. And I'm going to be giving you guys four essential tips um, for anybody considering starting um, a stream, four essential tips that I feel like are something every new streamer should know and do. Uh, and then next Monday uh, is Canada Day. Uh, it is a holiday up here. Uh, but we are still going to have a episode of the podcast next Monday. And it's going to be more of a personal episode and just kind of talking about um, Canada Day and kind of what it means to me and, and how, it how it has a certain place in my life. So that's some episodes um, to look forward to. And then, I mean, next weekend, I'm going to be in Cleveland. So we're going to have to get a couple episodes uh, recorded in advance of that. Because <clears throat> the, the Friday the 5th, I'm jumping on a plane at 6.05 a.m. Um, to head to Toronto to catch a flight to Cleveland. I'm going to be in Cleveland for until Wednesday. I'm flying back early Wednesday morning. Uh, I land at like lunchtime and then I have an hour and a half drive home. Uh, and then on Thursday, I'm leaving to go camping for the weekend. So it's going to be uh, a whirlwind um, 10 days uh, to kind of kick off July for me. It's going to be a whirlwind two weeks, really, with Canada Day mixed in there. And it's all kinds of fun. So but we've got lots of... Uh, we're not going to be missing any episodes of the Snaggle Show here. We've got lots of things planned out for the summer. Um, some different things coming up as well. I hope so. Like I said, as always, I hope I'm glad that you guys uh, support the podcast. I hope you guys are enjoying it. If you guys have any feedback, make sure you reach out to me on Twitter, twitter.com slash snagglej, or jump in the Discord, discord.snaggle.club, and uh, let me know your feedback. I always appreciate your guys' feedback. You guys are super um, honest with me, which I do appreciate, and like I said, I'm glad. Um, you're If you're listening to the podcast at anchor.fm slash the snaggle show, or you're subscribing in your podcast app of choice on an Android or a Google device, um, I do appreciate it. Uh, you should also consider supporting my Patreon, patreon.com slash snaggle J. Um, you can help support... Um, Support the podcast. We're going to be doing some fun things over there starting in July. We're going to be doing once a month. We're going to be doing exclusive patron-only uh, and Twitch subscriber-only uh, wrestling watch-alongs. Now, we're going to be doing the first one in July, and it is going to be open to everyone. 
Um, so I do hope you guys will consider going over to Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash J. And like I said, if you're on the fence about the benefits, the first one in July is going to be open to everyone. Uh, I do know what we're going to be covering, what we're going to be watching together. Uh, I'm not going to tell you guys yet, but it's going to be a lot of fun. So really looking forward to that. But let's jump into the matter at hand. Now this week's episode, this week's, this Friday episode of The Snaggle Show, I am giving my Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling. And as I sit here on a Friday morning recording this, this is the Monday episode of The Snaggle Show. See, now I'm confused, right? Because I'm recording a Monday episode on a Friday and... Um, I'm all over the page, but as I sit here recording this episode currently, I still am kind of on the fence about the last pick, and I've been gone back and forth. This is, in my opinion, an impossible task for the most part, because um, this is obviously like my opinion. It's not gospel in any way, shape, or form. It's what I think. Um, professional wrestling is so subjective and generational. And the example I keep using is, you know, someone who may be, <clears throat> excuse me, older than me, so, you know, in their 50s or 60s, um, you know, they would probably include guys like you know, Bruno Sammartino or Buddy Rogers, guys that I never seen wrestle really don't have much interest in watching wrestle. Um, surely in their own rights, they were amazing and fantastic. When, you know, wrestling was very, very different in those times in the 60s and 70s, um, you know, before the big wrestling evolution in the mid-80s. But, like, you know, I, I won't include those guys, but other people will. So, I mean, it depends on your experience. If you're a younger... Uh, a younger wrestling fan, you know, you're probably more drawn to somebody like John Cena, even though, you know, I've seen the entirety of Cena's career. Like, and one thing I really tried to to put aside in this was my Attitude Era bias. Um, because any of us who, you know, would be in, say, my age bracket, so I would say anyone from 32 to 42 like, who would have been, like, a teenager, a young teenager, or a young adult during the Attitude Era. I mean, that's the part of wrestling you remember most fondly. The Attitude Era was was the, the pinnacle height of wrestling. It, not likely one that will ever be matched again. So, I mean, you're kind of drawn to that. And while, yes, you know, the Attitude Era is going to play a very large part of my list... Um, I really tried to look beyond the Attitude Era and say, you know, is there other guys that I should consider? Um, and as when I when I decided to do this, you know, I've had a lot of fun doing the Mount Rushmore of series. Um, we've got a lot more of them coming up um, over the next few months. Um, I'm going to try to do a Mount Rushmore of at least once or twice a month. Because, um, like I said, I really do enjoy doing them. They, they're always a good conversational piece. They always get a lot of good feedback. When I decided I was going to do this, I had I knew I had two right away. And I was pretty sure of the third one. And then from there on, it was the fourth one that obviously is the most difficult. So, <clears throat> let's dive right in to my Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling. Uh, the first one, who I think should be on everyone's Mount Rushmore, regardless of uh, you know your affiliation in those times, 
but my first pick is Stone Cold Steve Austin, the hottest baby face in the history of professional wrestling, uh, the poster child for the Attitude Era. Um, when when you know from '98 to 2001, Raw was must watch. SmackDown was must watch when Austin was on. I don't think SmackDown started until like 02, right? But when WWE programming was on, you had to watch it just to see what Stone Cold Steve Austin was going to do. His feud with Mr. McMahon, the Mr. McMahon character, probably the best feud in professional wrestling history. I think it's pretty safe to say that's the case. Um, you know, there are some others that you could look at, but I think Austin McMahon was... You know, again, at when wrestling was at its pinnacle, it was the pinnacle of the pinnacle. Um, you know, Stone Cold in the in the you know he he was he had an interesting career before that. I think WCW thought he had some potential, um, but you know, depending on you know what source you read and who you listen to, he either you know didn't reach that potential or they didn't allow him to reach that potential. Um, you know, he went to ECW for, for a short time and then, you know, debuted as Ted DiBiase's side piece, the ringmaster, did his thing there. And then I think, and I remember, I still remember watching King of the Ring, you know, when he beats Jake Roberts and he's talking to Michael Hayes and, you know, he says, you talk about your Zoms, you talk about John 316. Austin 316 says, I just whipped your ass. And Michael Hayes is like, hey! Like, you know, like you can't say that. And that was it. We were off to the races with, with Austin. And it was, you know, in his initial feuds, I think for me, what I really enjoyed about him early on was his feuds over the Intercontinental title were great. Because even though I'm Canadian, you, you really hated the Hart Foundation at that point. Um, you know, they were, Hart Foundation were, were great heels, <clears throat> you know, Brett and Owen at the, at the top of that were great heels. Um, then he went into feuding with The Rock over the IC belt, and everybody hated The Rock at that point. Like, just hated him. Uh, and then, you know, again, like I said, the whole Shawn Michaels, Mike Tyson thing. Everything Austin did in WWE, WWF, you know, turned to gold at that point. I mean, for as high as he got, for as hot as the business was when he was in there, um, I think, you know, the only, and a lot of people will say, oh man, I wish we would have had another four or five years of Stone Cold. I say, you know what? I almost enjoy it the way that it was. You know, there was the famous incident where he took his ball and went home and, you know, then he came back and he left again and he had a surgery and I really don't think prolonging his career another four or five years would have added any mystique to Stone Cold Steve Austin's character. So the first place on my Mount Rushmore professional wrestling goes to Stone Cold Steve Austin. The second place goes to Hulk Hogan. Now you can you can rightfully hate everything Hulk Hogan has done um, since 2003, pretty much. Um, you know all the, the 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 personal stuff that he's gone through, the the character issues that he's had, the racism, uh, his entire time in TNA. Um, you, you can hate all that stuff and that's fine. But from 1985 until 1999, there was no more potent figure 
I don't know if potent's the right word, but recognizable figure of professional wrestling than Hulk Hogan. I mean, it was, you know, and you look at it, there was there was these, the three, the two real big phases of Hulk Hogan. There's the Hulkamania phase, and then there's the Hollywood phase. You know, the Hulkamania phase, he was this giant, jacked up, tanned, blonde haired, couldn't wrestle worth a damn guy, you know, that was in the AWA, that they brought to WWE, you know, he had Freddie Blassie as his manager, and they called him the Hulk, and then there was the Hulk Hogan. <clears throat> you know, he won the world title in 1984. He didn't lose it until 1988. He was the heavyweight champion for almost five years. A lot of people forget that part. And a lot of people forget it because it was a lot of it happened before WWE. I'm going to keep calling it WWE. It's just easier that way. A lot of it happened before WWE was in the main eye. I mean, yes, you had the first WrestleMania in 85. And, you know, you had a non-title match as the main event and whatever, whatever. But a lot of people really didn't realize he had had the belt for so long until, you know, WrestleMania 3 and the match with Andre and he wins. Then he eventually loses the title to Andre who gives it to Ted DiBiase. And then, you know, Jack Tunney says, no, 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 that's not happening. Uh, and then the belt bounces around for a bit. Hogan gets it three or four more times. Uh, it goes, you know, to Savage for a bit. Goes to the Warrior for a bit. It goes to Yokozuna for uh, 14 seconds uh, at WrestleMania nine. And for all his transgressions within the wrestling business, you know, the whole, you know, the big line in, in, that has come out in the later years. I think Eric Bischoff was was someone who kind of you know, put that out there was, was the whole, that doesn't work for me, brother. Um, but you, you can't debate what Hogan meant to wrestling in those days, especially in the WWE, the Hulkamania phase. And, you know, he was, he was white hot. Um, and early on in his career, he did what he could to put guys over. He put Macho Man over. He tried to put the Million Dollar Man over by transitioning the belt through Andre. He put Ultimate Warrior over. And, you know, ultimately, for whatever reason, they kept going back to Hogan because it didn't work. And then Hogan left. And he went to WCW and immediately made WCW a more legitimate contender. Uh, WCW goes on Monday nights. Uh, and then people get bored of Hogan. And... You know, Hogan could have went away in 95. Nobody really would have noticed. You know, like people would have noticed, but the sparkle of Hulkamania was gone. So what does he do? Well, he inserts himself as the third man in the NWO, turns heel as Hollywood Hulk Hogan, and completely reinvents himself and spearheads, you know, the hottest period in professional wrestling, the Monday Night Wars. And, you know, it again, you, you can sit and you can talk about a lot of the negatives of Hulk Hogan. Uh, you know, again, the creative control stuff, the after his career stuff. But I don't think it's debatable that pro wrestling wouldn't be what it is today without Hulk Hogan. Um, so Hulk Hogan occupies the second spot on my Mount Rushmore professional wrestling.
So now we get into the third and fourth spots, which are definitely more debatable, for sure. Um, again, I, I think my third one um, was, is a pretty good lock, and my third spot goes to The Undertaker. Um, few characters in... I can't think of really any. Um, still... After 30 years, still have that mystique and that aura that surrounds their name and their entrance. And you know, still has that sort of je ne sais quoi. That when you hear their name and you hear that gong and you hear the lights go out and the organ picks up. And you're like, holy shit, here comes The Undertaker. Like, even though he is well, well past his prime in the ring. Um, <clears throat> you know, he still has that, that appeal. You know, when he came into uh, WWE in the early 90s as The Undertaker with Paul Bearer as part of um, Ted DiBiase's, um, you know... As part of DiBiase's uh, Survivor Series team, you know, stand, he was almost seven feet tall. He was three hundred pounds. He was pale as a ghost. Um, it was right off the bat. It was you didn't even have time to think of how silly the gimmick was because all you could look at was the the, the look. Was holy shit! Like, look at this guy. This guy's seven feet tall. He's 300 pounds. He literally, like, looks the same color as a sheet of paper. Um, and, you know, early on, I mean, he, you know, he was unbeatable. He did the whole sitting up thing, which he still does to this day. Uh, you know, there was the whole world title incident where, you know, Flair interferes. He tombstones him on the chair. Uh, they pick up the one, two, three. Then a Tuesday in Texas, Hogan wins it back, um, but under you know cheating like circumstances. And then they go to a World Heavyweight Championship tournament. But the big constant for all the the, the evolutions of the Undertaker, because you know he went from that to the Corporate Ministry Undertaker to the American Badass, then back to the Dead Man. Um, and then, you know, in his later careers, later part of his career, he, he went from being like less of the dead man to being more of like just a guy who speaks cryptically and, you know, throat slashes and says rest in peace a lot. And, you know, like I said, it's, it's still to this day. And I mean, again, if you listened to Friday's episode where we rewatched the Undertaker Goldberg um, match... I still get that that feeling when you hear that gong and, and you and you hear that organ and you see him come out of the smoke and you know he raises the lights and he takes off the hat and the eyes roll back in his head. I mean that still resonates with people thirty freaking years later. He has taken what should have been the stupidest fucking gimmick in the history of wrestling. And literally made it the best fucking gimmick in the history of wrestling. If that's not worthy of being considered one of the best four pro wrestlers of all time, I don't know what is. 
So now we get to the last spot. And like I said, I've been staring at my list the whole time where I have a name in the fourth spot. And then below that, I have a list of six guys who I also considered for that fourth spot. And I still don't know what name I'm going to say out loud. Um, but I think I'm going to go with my original gut. And that is um, the fourth spot on the Mount Rushmore Professional Wrestling goes to the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Um, it's easy to make a case for Flair. It's easy to make a case against Flair. Um, but I mean, his accomplishments stand for themselves. You know, he was, he was, in my opinion, par, on par with Hogan in the eighties. Now Hogan got all the publicity and all the notoriety because of WrestleMania, but Flair in the 80s is probably one of the most underrated periods of time for a professional wrestler ever. If you ever want to see Ric Flair at his absolute fucking best, go back and watch his trilogy against Ricky the Dragon Steamboat um, from 1989. Up until uh, late last year, I had only ever seen one of those three matches, and... I had listened to an episode of Tony Schiavone's podcast, uh, which I can't recommend enough. Um, they do he, him, and Conrad Thompson do wrestling watch-alongs every week. Um, they're great. They're hilarious. Uh, they're very non-PG, which is hilarious in and of itself. Uh, but they rewatched uh, one of the other ones that I hadn't seen, and um, I listened to about the first fifteen or twenty minutes of it, and I decided to stop there and go watch it first. And uh, then listen to the podcast afterwards. Uh, because I listen to the podcast in the car, so I can't really watch along with them. And I was like, holy shit. Like this, it was the 1989 feud between Flair and Steamboat is one of, in my, in my opinion, probably one of the best two or three wrestling trilogies ever. Um, and again, because it was WCW, uh, you know, a Southern territory and WWF was taking over the country with its WrestleManias and its SummerSlams and its Royal Rumbles. It didn't get the publicity that it should have. And then Flair came to WWE and won the world title in the Royal Rumble, um, you know, in, a, in one of the best Royal Rumble performances of all time. Uh, and then right then they should have went, that WrestleMania should have been the biggest mistake, the biggest mistake of the 90s for Vince McMahon was not having Hogan and Flair in the main event of WrestleMania. That that would have been it. That would have sealed the deal. Maybe Monday Nitro never happens if, if you do that. That would have blown the roof. But instead they went different ways and Flair ends up going back to WCW and, you know, in relative obscurity and then, you know, he kind of reforms the horseman and then the whole situation with him and Bischoff, which was, you know, a storyline built mostly from fact and things that they actually really didn't like each other. And they really had legal battles. And, um, <clears throat> you know, in the Monday night wars, Ric Flair was must watch WCW TV and he wasn't wrestling, but you had to watch, you know, for him to come out to the ring and do the whole mean, woo, by God, 
Gee, and it was, it was, it, you had to watch it. It was, you had to see what ridiculous crap Ric Flair was going to do. And, you know, he is the epitome of, you know, believing that he is a limousine riding, jet flying, kiss dealing, wheeling dealing son of a gun. And he is to this day. I mean, you watch his YouTube videos, he is still, you know, 70 years old and in really poor health. You know, he still is the nature boy. And, it you know, it, I mean, this list is so hard because all the guys I could have put in there, you know, I could have put in a Cena, and I could have put in a Shawn Michaels, and I could have put in a Bret Hart, I could have put Sting, I could have put Dusty Rhodes, I could have put The Rock, I could have put Triple H. Um, you know, I could have put all kinds of guys. Macho Man Randy Savage, you could make a case for not a good one, but you could make one. But in my mind, the way I look at it and the way I, I reason it out is I don't feel like you can properly tell the story about the history of professional wrestling without the Nature Boy Ric Flair. And that, for me, I feel like I could tell the story of professional wrestling without Cena, without Michaels, without Hart, without Sting, without Rhodes, without The Rock. I feel like I can't tell the story of my love of professional wrestling without the nature boy, Ric Flair. So that is why he occupies the four spot. So my Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan, The Undertaker, Ric Flair. I would absolutely love to hear what your guys' um, Mount Rushmore of professional wrestling is. Make sure you guys hit me up on the Twitter, twitter.com slash J. Um, or the Discord, discord.snaggle.club. Again, I love interacting with you guys. I would love to hear um, what you guys think. Some people had already tweeted me when I said I was going to be doing this episode with some great lists. Uh, one guy actually picked Charlotte Flair, which I don't disagree with. I think that's great, but I think it's way too early um, in her career to be to be looking at her as, as a Mount Rushmore, um, a Mount Rushmore type, but she's definitely well on her way. Um to being, you know, to being a top all-time uh, wrestler. Um, but like I said, I still think it's too early to, to put her in the Mount Rushmore conversation. But I, got, I, I've seen some great tweets, guys. Um, some great conversation in the Discord as well. Please keep that going as always. Uh, anyways, guys, like I said, I appreciate you guys taking the time to listen to my podcast. Uh, make, why don't you share it on Twitter? Tell a friend. Tell a friend about the Snaggle Show. We'd love to have them. And uh, have them their ear holes as well. Uh, anyways, guys, as always, I have been Chris Jardine, aka Snaggle J, and until next time, peace. <laughs>